Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so another week and another incredible guest. But I'm going to do something a little bit different today because I'm so excited about this guest. We've been speaking over several weeks now. We finally got our act together to get this on the road. But I'm going to just read a little something from the guest's own words today because I think it's so profound and so amazing. So I'm J.R. Martinez, and my life is different than most. Would you believe me if I told you a burn survivor army veteran could win Dancing with the Stars, become a New York Times bestselling author, start in the television series All My Children, and become a keynote speaker at events all around the world? Life is what you make it, and I'm proof of that. Learn more about my story, my work, and how you own path in life is decided by your ability to adapt and overcome. So first and foremost, welcome, J.R. Glenn, you're right, man. We did it. We did it. <laughs> We're on the road. We're on the road. Like we've been talking and um, just your energy is so infectious, mate. And I thank you for your time. And, and just reading that, the reason why I started with that is because it's so powerful in itself. And your last words there, like your own path in life decided by your ability to adapt and overcome. So you've got quite the story. But before we delve into that, Tell us who is J.R. Martinez. Like, I obviously said a little bit there, but... <laughs> yeah, He's a student, man. That's yep. all he is. He's a student of life and student of, you know, how he can improve himself and improve everything about himself. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, about who I am. I mean, I, you know, to give people a little bit of context, I grew up in, you know, the South. Uh, I was born in Louisiana uh, in, in the United States, and... My father left when I was nine months old. My mother immigrated to the United States from Central America, El Salvador. And, you know, it was just her and I. And I could tell you, man, that um, as a kid, you know, not having family around, not having a father figure, not having a male figure, a positive male figure, uh, was challenging. I witnessed my mother fall into relationships that were un, um, unhealthy for her, that were physical. I, we were poor. We were, I grew up in communities where it was predominantly white and black and I was the only Hispanic kid and kids, you know, kids are, kids can be brutal. And, uh, I felt, I fell into this, you know, space of trying to ask myself, who am I? Where do I fit in? Where is my community? Where is my box that works for me? And uh, I can tell you that at 16 years old, I remember one day my mom, she found me in my bedroom. Um, I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was crying. And she asked me, why are you crying? I said, you know, sometimes I just think about being in the car and getting, getting into a car accident. And just to see how many people would actually show up to the hospital, to see how many people actually care. And of course, you know, my mom um, didn't have the right tools. You know, so the biggest thing that she can do is just give me a hug and tell me she loved me and that people do love me, et cetera. But I didn't feel that way. And, you know, it's also, too, the, the, the aspect of being a minority 
that it's not something that is openly discussed in our community, right? To talk about mental health, to talk about, in some cases, suicide, you know, and, and when I was 16 years old, you know, that was 20 years ago, they would, they didn't label it. Oh, is he having suicidal thoughts? Is it mental health? It was just more like, Hey, you know, you're okay. Get over it. Right. Yeah. Now, if a 16 year old said that to you, to me, to anybody listening right now, we'd be like, hold on, wait a minute. We got to figure this out. We got, we, we got to get you to the right people. Right. So it was challenging, man. It was tough. And, you know, I go off to join the military. My life is turned upside down. But I found something in the short amount of time in the military that still lives in me today and drives me, you know, every single day of my life. And I just, I have the life that I have today, Glenn, is simply because I have found power in being vulnerable. I have found strength and vulnerability. I have found, most importantly, community in being vulnerable. So I'm the guy as you mentioned, I was on Dancing with the Stars. I have no problem being on television. And if I feel some, some emotion, I cry. I let it out. And that's not something that I grew up understanding. It's not something that I, I, I witnessed a man, a Hispanic man, a man that used to be in the military. I never witnessed anybody of that nature share, show their emotion like that. But yet I was willing and open to do it. And so for me, it's a matter of, going through a lot of the struggles is realizing that, oh, okay, this is the power that I have, that if I'm willing to be vulnerable and I'm willing to embrace the community, if I'm willing to share, sky's the limit. So for me, I, I'm just, I'm constantly learning, brother. I'm every single day learning, which is why when you and I were connected, I was listening to everything you're doing and, and, and your campaign and your work and your advocacy and your profession. And I just admire it so much because we're doing the same thing. We're just doing it on different sides of the world, different time zones. But at the, at the end of the day, what drives us is purpose. What drives us is service. What drives us is being an inspiration and trying to save people's lives. And not to say that this is the way I look at it. I almost lost my life. I almost died at the age of 19 years old. I'm 37 years old right now. At 19, I almost died. I was that close. God spared my life, man. And at that time, I can tell you I had no idea why. <laughs> but I can tell you now at 37 years old, it's incredibly clear why he saved my life. I have a purpose. This is what I'm meant to be doing. And so everything that I've learned in my second chance at life, I'm trying to share with people that are still in their first chance at life. So they don't have to have a near-death experience to realize it. I want you to take advantage of the beautiful life that you have because there's something beautiful about every single one of our lives. It's just the way we see it. Wow. It's it's so profound listening to you and the way that you like, and I, I love the fact that you say like, you're a student of life. Because I heard, I heard from a good friend who put things into perspective for me for once, and he was like, your purpose, you can look at your purpose on two ends of the spectrum. So your purpose is like you said there, finding something that drives you and passion. But also on the under end of the spectrum, you hit the nail on the head where it's your purpose can be about finding out who you are. So you're a student of life. We're continually learning, evolving. And once we draw back the curtain and we own who we are and we show that vulnerability, I was talking to somebody called Purvis Taylor. He's an incredible guy, but he'd been through so much adversity. And he remembered at a young age, his father sitting him down and saying, our marriage is breaking up. 
because of a drug addiction and it's not your mum's fault, it's my fault. And he said, even as a 16 year old kid there, he felt it in his soul. His, his, his brothers and sisters can't remember it, but he took it with him. And he said, the vulnerability in someone I thought was Superman, my dad. And he has gone on now when he came on the campaign and he was talking about his, he's brought out a book helping other men realize that vulnerability is a strength. And that's what I suppose the collective conscious like us guys are showing guys it's actually, it is a strength to do it and it's not weak. And if we can yeah. spare someone from taking their life or anything like that, then just, just, just open up and it's just amazing. But one other thing that draws me to you is, it was so funny, it cracked me up yesterday, I must admit. I was at the gym and I was scrolling as you do on your socials and you happened to be on IG with your daughter, right? <laughs> and I, I, I love everything that you do and I think I take my hat off uh, the worldwide stages you've been on, dancing with the stuff, everything. But I can tell when you talk and you look at your daughter or you talk about your family from the conversations we've had, you light up your energy through your voice. And yesterday yeah. I was just cracking up at the sheer, how many times she said like, and you were just like, in your head. I was like, but that is an American thing. Fair go, fair go to her. <laughs> but I was like, every other word was like, and I was like, and I was like, I don't even get it, you know. Cracked me up. But you know, the beauty about what you said in relation to like purpose, right, is like not only finding out what you can do for others and, and, the, and the ways you could be of service to other people, it, like you said, it's like learning about yourself as well. And that is very much a lot of what fuels me and drives me every single day. And when you talk about like, you know, being a father and being a husband, you know, I didn't have the greatest example growing up of what a healthy relationship looked like. Like I said, my mother was unfortunately a victim of domestic abuse, uh, verbally, physically, mentally for a very long time. And unfortunately, because she didn't take the steps to heal she passed a lot of those same patterns on to me, so, you know, just unconsciously, just, just not realizing what she was doing. Just This is just naturally how she learned how to deal with things, and then I learned just from my environment. But, but for me, like, I've worked incredibly hard, man, to be in, 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 in this position where I am a husband, I am a father, and I'm learning and evolving every single day. I can tell you that, you know, in relation to my daughter, there have been many times that I've gone to my daughter, who is now eight years old, and I can even think of this going all the way back to when she was like three and a half, and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Her name is Lauren, and I say, Lauren, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Raising my voice. I'm sorry that I, I spoke to you in that way. I'm sorry that I gestured this towards you. I'm sorry. And she, at a young age, because, you know, of course, kids love their parents and, of course, girls love their dads and it's okay, daddy. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I want you to understand that it's not okay. I don't want you to ever get into a pattern of believing that this is okay, mm -hmm. that somebody can just simply say sorry and everything's supposed to go back to normal. No, like, I have to acknowledge it. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I've experienced where I'm constantly apologizing to my daughter because I want her to understand that I'm not perfect. She may see me and think, daddy, got daddy has it figured out. You know, she always says to like my wife or my friends, oh, daddy knows, daddy will figure it out. Daddy will fix it. He knows how to do it. And it's like, that's great. But I also want to be able to show this other side of her, other side of me that I'm not perfect mm -hmm. and that it takes work. And in relation to in my relationship with my wife, I mean, we had a rough patch, man. It was tough. We split up. 
We got back together, tried it again, we split up again, and then we finally figured this thing out, but it really took me, I'm just going to speak for me personally, really being vulnerable and understanding what that meant and really looking within and understanding what it is that I needed to work on. And the only way that I found that was not only th- not only through my best friend who is a is is a man that is 17 years older than me and has really sh- you know showed me that example, but I've gone to therapy. I've gone to therapy, man, and I've just I've acknowledged that hey, this is I know what I want in life. I just for some reason can't seem to get it and if I get it, I'm not retaining it. So what do I need to do differently? What do I need to be aware of? Because the common denominator in all these relationships is me. And so what do I need to pay attention to? We were at dinner with some friends the other night. And one of our friends is uh, 42 years old, handsome dude, very charismatic, you know, just a good dude, good heart. And everyone, it's his birthday and everybody's grilling him. Like, why are you single? What's wrong? Literally, do you not want a relationship? You know, and everybody at the table is married, has kids. And so he's like, oh my God, I'm just getting attacked. And at the end, one of his good friends said to him, you know, your problem is is when you're ready to share, when you're really ready to share. And I don't mean that just like your feelings. I mean, your time, share your life, like really share your day to day with somebody. Then that's when you'll be ready and that's when you'll start acknowledging it and so for me it was a matter of understanding what i needed to pay and and he would talk about well i you know i've dated this girl and this girl and this girl and this didn't work out i'm like yeah but what's the common denominator i said to him you yeah you were the only consistent thing in this whole equation so what do you need to look at within yourself to realize and so many of us man we are so guilty and i do it myself at times i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i got it all figured out but so many of us are guilty where we're quick to just find the thing and point the finger at it. And it's easy to put the blame on that. Yeah. It's easy to put the weight and the responsibility on something else instead of it's so much harder to actually look at ourselves. And so what I can tell you that when I was 19 years old and I was overseas in Iraq and I was in the military and I, and I got injured and I was burned over 34% of my body and I came back to the United States and I spent almost three years in a hospital recovering from 19 years old all the way almost to 23 years old. So literally almost three years. For people that are asking, they're like, wait, that math doesn't quite make sense. Well, I, I was 19 when I was hurt. Two months later, I turned 20. And so there's that. <laughs> I'm pretty good at math. So I just want everybody to know, like, he's really inspiring, but his math is horrible. No, no, no. I, got I spent a lot of time figuring out the math. So bear with me. But I can tell you that when I got out of the military, man, I, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to inspire people. I want to speak to people. I want to do all these things. And I can tell you that people, there was a lot of rejection that came my way. People that said, nah, you're better off talking to veterans. You're better off talking to military guys. Like, what are you going to really share? What do you have to offer? That constant rejection, Glenn, sent me into a state of depression. And I can tell you that I was 23, 22, 23, 24 years old. I was reckless. I was angry. I was drinking. I was lashing out at people that had no fault in any of this, that were innocent bystanders. And I was just taking it out on them because I felt that I could, because I felt, well, they'll still be there tomorrow anyway, so I can do this to them. And it took me really looking at myself because of my best friend. 
and realizing what I needed to pay attention to within myself in order to break the cycle. So when I, when I, you know, beam as, you know, as you said yesterday on my Instagram live, you know, with my daughter, when I talk about my family and my wife, we're trying to pull my wife into the Instagram live and she's like, I don't have any makeup on. And we're like, put a mask on then you'll be fine. Right. That's the new, world, right. You can hide behind the mask. And the reason I light up so much is because I've earned it. Yeah. I've literally earned the right to enjoy this beautiful family that I've created for myself because I almost had this element of where my daughter was going to be back and forth between who had two households. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like there I'm not going to pass judgment on that. There's some people that just say this just doesn't work for whatever reason and you try, right? But for me it was a matter of I'm going to try to exercise every possibility in my power to see if this will work. And if it doesn't, then hey, we can figure this out together as co-parents. But I still love you and I still have this desire to have this unity, this nucleus of a family. What do I gotta figure out on my end? And I worked on it and I could tell you that, you know, that's where we are where we are today. And I think that's, it's when it comes to that, and I always put a disclaimer out, I'm not an expert or anything, even though I've got qualified in a lot of stuff to do with mental health and I talk to a clinical psychologist and that, but I think there's a lot of disparity when it comes to, like you say there, we have to do so much internal work on ourselves, And that's when we put on the external front or we try and push it away. And look, I'm not going to get into politics when it comes between the medical profession and medicine and, and things like that or the holistic side of things, but there is some truth to it where you, and it does help medicine towards a lot of things, but it's not going to help sort out the mind. You really have to need to go back to even, and I talk about it all the time, what we suppress as children, we carry on into that later life. And it's amazing when you start working on it and things come out. And a good friend of mine, Jeremy Jackson, he got me into breath work. Have you ever tried that? So I have not, but I have a friend that he was in a car accident, was paralyzed from the waist down, and he is, um, his name is Sam Morris. Uh, I had him on my podcast, and dude is like deep, and he makes, I mean, he, like, he just starts talking, and he's just like, take me away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like entrenched in his voice and like his whole being, right? And, and my wife did a workshop with him, and it was all about breath work, and I couldn't do it because I had a conflict, but... She just raved about it. And it's been something that we in our household have been talking about a lot, you know, a lot about. But anyways, I want to hand it back over to you. Yeah, no, I was just saying it's that in itself is so powerful. And basically because I've tried meditation, calm my mind. I've got hundred things going around, so I could never do it. And I've kept on trying and trying. And I'm like, things come in and go. And I'm like, oh, where is Jeremy? Sat me down. We did this uh, breath work. And because she kind of inhalation, exhalation, but everything's going like... <sighs> You've got no time to think because you're concentrating on your bloody breath. So mm. your mind empties and that's when things start coming through. And, oh, it's a, it is. Try it. Try it. No, I so said, I'm going to look into it. I definitely, you're, you're like the 15th person to tell me to look into it. So I definitely have to finally pay attention and dive in. Well, I'm, I'm going to check in on you, mate. <laughs> you, I'm going to send you a voice memo on Instagram and all you're going to hear is me <laughs> trying to figure out how to breathe. I'm going to be like, I don't know. Am I doing this right, Glenn? I don't know. And all these random noises. <laughs> but um, going back to you, um, 
you have done, and I always talk about it, and I listen to so many interviews that you've done and everyone else, and everyone talks about what happened with your accident. And I tend to, I love to know the person behind it. Also, what I would say is you've touched upon your accident, but through everything and what you learned growing up without a father figure, how have you managed to navigate your mental health and from your accident? Because I love the part where I did hear about it was until the woman in your life, your mother, that you never argue with, <laughs> she pulled you into shape when it came to your accident. So how did you navigate through all the time that a lot of people could have just turned over and gone, I can't do this? Yeah, let me be real, man. I'm gonna be 100% transparent with you and, and your listeners right now. Um, so yeah, my mother was the first one to kind of say, hey, listen, you know, you gotta focus on the positive. You gotta try to believe that something good is gonna come from this and try to have a little bit of faith. And that got me through, right? That got me through. Six months after I was injured, I was asked to visit a patient who was having a difficult time in the hospital. And I didn't want to because I, I, I was like, I'm not a trained professional. What am I going to say? And I was encouraged. And finally, I went in, spoke to him, had a positive impact on him. And so literally every day, I would go and visit other patients in the hospital. That's what I did. And then from that, I got involved in a nonprofit, became a spokesman for a nonprofit, and it was all because I found, again, a different way that I can continue to serve. It was outside of the traditional uniform that I knew, which was the military uniform. Now I was wearing the new uniform, which were my scars on my body. Mm. And the new weapon was not the M16 that I had in my hand. The new weapon were now the words that came out of my mouth and the way that I carried myself, the way that I moved through all these different spaces. So it wasn't my words. It was my actions, the way I carried myself. And so... I got involved in the nonprofit sector and then it just kind of, you know, I stayed busy as I was going through my recovery. But I can, and the reason I say I'm going to be open and transparent with you guys is because when I got out of the military and I started acting reckless because of, a, of constant rejection, my best friend is the one that told me one night, he said, when I was lashing out at somebody, wanting to fight somebody for no reason, just because I was mad at the world and I needed to take it out on somebody. And he sat me down and he said, man, you need to cry. And I was like, what are you talking about? He says, you need to cry. And I finally started crying. And he says, man, you got all this stuff pent up inside of you. You've healed physically, but you haven't healed emotionally and mentally. And I'm going to tell you how powerful that moment was. At that point, I had known this man for probably like two and a half years. And I can tell you, I don't know how long before that night, that conversation that took place, but I can tell you at least six months prior, for six months prior to that, that, that conversation, he'd always end a conversation over the phone or in person by saying, I love you, JR. And I'd always say, all right, I'll talk to you later. Good talk, bro. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool, cool. That's what I would say. The next day after that you know, intense conversation, I'm the first one that actually said to him, I love you, Dan. And I meant it. Because he actually showed me unconditional love. He showed me that he can create a space for me to be vulnerable, to share, to cry, and he wouldn't judge me for it. Mm. And, and one of the biggest things that I had to learn, Glenn, to get through, as incredible as my mother is, one of the things that I had to work through was my relationship with my mother. And the reason I say that is because my mother has been faced with a lot of trauma in her life. And this is no means me trying to talk down on her. This is just, unfortunately, the reality. And my mother was abused when she was a child. She was given away by her parents. Her father left when she was very young. 
she was um like I said, she was abused not only sexually but physically. I mean, she you know, she had two kids and the fathers just left her. Um, then one of her child, you know, one of her, you know, daughters passed away unexpectedly. Then she has me and then my father leaves. And once again, she's into bad relationships, bad patterns, unfortunately falling, you know, becoming a victim. Um, and what my mother did, because I was the only consistent thing in her life, what she had become accustomed to was abandonment. So her defense mechanism was, let me lash out at you before you can attack me and leave me and hurt me. So what she did, the pattern that I fell into, unfortunately, was my mother using guilt as a way to keep me close. She would constantly guilt me so I wouldn't run off and go somewhere else. She would guilt me as if I went and felt guilty if I pursued my own career, my own life, and it took me across the country or across the world She would guilt me and saying, you're not here with me. You're supposed to be here with me. And she would use that mechanism, but it wasn't necessarily intentional. It wasn't because she doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. It was because that was unfortunately all she learned, the way she learned to cope with a lot of the trauma and experiences in her life. Yeah. So what I had to learn to navigate through, yeah, it was my injury, but was a lot of my relationship with my mother because what I realized that I was searching for was unconditional love what i was searching for was appreciation was acceptance my mother did not put up a photo of the way that i look today 10 years for 10 years after i was injured 10 years after i was injured my mother went through not with i never realized i never really paid attention to it but she never put up a photo of the way i look today she had not accepted it And so if you can imagine, here I am four years after my injury and I'm trying to figure out how to accept myself and find my new identity and create it, and yet my mom doesn't even accept me. And then my mom's guilting me because I'm trying to piece everything together. So a lot of my mental health, a lot of what I had to work through was related to the very woman that brought me into this world that loves me, does love me, But unfortunately, she does not have the tools. And so what I've had to learn to do, which is really hard because mothers are everything. I mean, mothers are everything, right? And and, and, in my culture, in the Hispanic culture, I mean, the mother is, I mean, she is at the top. She is at the top of the pyramid. And you, at some point, you take care of her, you worship her, you do everything you can for her, right? That's what, how I was raised. And needless to say, I did that. I fell into that. But every time that I did, it was never reciprocated with a, I appreciate you, son. It was almost this, ex- she expected this. It was entitlement on her behalf because of everything she had been through. She's, she felt that she had been through so much in her life that I finally, I finally, I earned this. I, you owe this to me. The world owes this to me because of the trauma and the pain that I've experienced. And it got to a point where I found myself looking in different places, girls, guy, friends, whatever, just looking for that acceptance, that appreciation, that unconditional love. And unfortunately, I was putting all this pressure and weight on random people. And so people were like, yo, back up. Like, this is crazy. Like, it's too much. Yeah. And then what happened is when they would pull away because I was aggressive, because I was still trying to figure it out and mad, 
Now, guess what? Somebody else left me. So now I'm falling into that same cycle that my mother was exposed to and that she produced on, she projected onto me. Now I'm falling into that same thing. And so for me, I tell people physically, yes, I have been through a lot physically. My body has been through a lot. Only 34% of my body was burnt. I say only, I know it's a lot, but I, I say only because there are people that I've met that were in the military, were not in the military, that have been burned a lot more than me. And I've seen these individuals. I've visited hospitals. You know, I've seen them. So I'm incredibly grateful that I have my eyes, I have my fingers, I have my hands, I have mobility, right? The only thing I don't have is one ear, right? That's the one thing I'm missing, which is kind of a pain in the ass when you have to wear a mask everywhere. And it's like, well, how do I walk around holding it up, right? Like there's nothing else for it to anchor onto on this side. But the point is that physically I've been through a lot, but I can tell you that I've been through a lot more mentally and emotionally. That was the recovery process that took so much out of me. And when you go, going back to that introduction that you, you know, you made for me um, in relation to reading, you know, what I said, you know, for me, what I've learned is like, I, I'm in the driver's seat. I never really, I never really was bumped out of the driver's seat. I just lost control of the steering wheel for a second, Hmm. but I was always in the driver's seat. I just needed to understand that when the car starts to kind of, you know, fishtail this way, I needed to turn the steering wheel this way. When, when I go into a curve, I need to be able to slow down. It doesn't make sense to just speed through the curve because then you're going to end up on the other side and crash. And then what, what then? So I just learned how to drive in this seat. It's not just a matter of being in the seat and being content with being in the seat. It's like, how am I going to learn to really move this, this vehicle that's going to get me from point A to point, not even B, to point Z, which is the end of my life? How am I going to get through the whole alphabet comfortably where I'm learning and hopefully leaving the legacy behind. And I don't mean legacy in the sense of where I'm going to leave my children tons of money. Yeah, of course, everybody strives for that. I want to leave my daughter with gifts of knowledge and life perspectives with tools that she can counter fear, you know, that she can address insecurities. That's what I want. I want her to be vulnerable. I want her to talk. I want her to be open but I want her to be fierce about it. I want her to be confident about it. Then when she says something, when she chooses her words, every time it's a like, a like, a like, a like, but when she finds those words that aren't, that isn't like, 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 she makes a statement. She says something and people will listen when she speaks. That to me is what my legacy is about. That to me is why I had to recover mentally and emotionally because that is going to push the body physically the body will then do if the mind and the heart is in the right place so you got to get those two in in, in sync if those two pistons aren't working the engine doesn't kick on man and and the whole car doesn't move and that's my hopes for our listeners out there just to hear that story in itself and there's a lot of thing it can be a test to business it can be a test to yourself whatever a lot of people really want this quick fix And for you there, like you said, you healed physically. Mentally, it has taken you years because there's so much you've had to go back, trauma-wise, from a young age to where you are now. How old are you now, sorry, Gia? I'm 37, man. So you have had to go through a lot mentally to fix that and to be in a place. And hey, maybe there's not to say, and this is the whole thing about the campaign, it's 
to shed a light and unveil that mask of we're still not perfect. We're still working on it. So those people that like what, what I try to do with the campaign really quickly is immerse people on visual mediums through photography film that resonates with people. Bring them in, bring them to inspirational people like yourself, people that we admire or maybe look up to and often see highlight reels and think, wow, they've got the life. But unmask it and go, no, it's a highlight reel. We right. all go. And I just love listening to people's stories. But I know you're busy. I've got two quick questions for you, mate. Out of everything that you have done and you've been on the likes of Oprah Winfrey Show, Jimmy Kimmel, Ellen, everything... Out of everything, I always say, I like to unveil, kind of take the accolades away, take all the amazing things you've done. When, and I know there'll be a lot of these moments for you, but when has there been a time when one person has come to JR and said, you've changed my life? And for you to be hitting right in the heart. I know it's a lot, but can, there's always one standout where you go, shit, that got me. Yeah. <laughs> we don't realize the impact that we can have on somebody's life. And I can tell you that, if life is presenting you with an opportunity, with a reason to go somewhere, to do something, and so many of us have these moments where we're like, no, nah, we nah, I, I don't really want to go. I don't really want to do that. Like, ah, it's a pain in the ass. Trust your instincts. Trust life and just go with it. Just go for the ride and just pay attention. I always tell people it's almost equivalent to when you're driving down the road. You're driving down the road and there's all these signs right on the road that tell you, you, know, you can't turn here, you turn here, this is... Go faster, go slower, watch out for children, watch out for whatever, schools. And so many of us ignore those signs and we start paying attention to the big billboards on the side of the road. Like, what does that say? And then that draws our focus and our attention. But I don't know about there, but in the streets that I drive on, I don't see big billboards that much. I see all these signs on the actual road that I'm on. So for me, it's a matter of how do I pay attention to these little things? So the reason I say that is because I was asked, this is before Dancing with the Stars. I was, I started, I just started acting probably about a year into acting. I was asked by a friend to go visit a high school. Her daughter was going to this school and go speak to it. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. I really didn't want to do it. Like I was tired, but I got up and I went, went to the high school. I spoke and, um, it was great, man. It was, I had this great energy. I fed off of the energy of the kids in the auditorium. And at the end, there was a group of kids that stuck around and I just had sort of an informal Q&A with them. And one girl started crying. And I happened to catch her from the corner of my eye and I just went over and I just gave her a hug. And I, and I said to her, I was like, I don't know why you're crying and it doesn't really matter. And I was like, just know that it's okay, right? And I just embraced her. And I'm trying to think maybe a couple of weeks later, I got a message from my website, through my website from that girl saying that she was crying because she was suicidal. She was thinking about taking her life. She was, she was thinking about how she was going to do, how she was going to do it, when she was going to do it. And she didn't understand why, because she was like, you know, I have this perfect family. Everything's great. And she said, listening to you and you hugging me and just allowing me to cry makes me realize I can do this. And there is a lot to live for. And I can tell you something, man, being 20, I think I was 26 years old at the time, 26, I mean, that's a lot to put on somebody at my age. Mm. And that was a moment that made me realize, again, like I said earlier, I am doing what I believe God kept me in this world to do. That's, oh man, 
I, lo I love asking that question because it's something that you just, yeah, the commonality between everyone I talk to when they've got that one profound moment. And although you touch a lot of people's life, there's always that one that just keeps you going, that extra moment and going, I come back to that one story every single time. And it's just, it's changed the course of someone's life. And if that's what my life is meant to be, to enable people to stay safe and, and it's amazing. But it's, it's, if I may say, you know, it's, it's why it's important for, for all of us to frequently in the day-to-day, -day, you know, our day-to-day -day lives, we get so caught up in, you know, the responsibilities and what we're trying to accomplish and where we have to go, what we have to do. And we forget our why, why, are you, why do you do what you do professionally and personally? Why do you do that? And whether you work in the medical field, whether you are an attorney, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a volunteer, whether you are a spouse, a partner, a parent that is saying, hey, I'm going to take care of this part of the, why do you do what you do? And in the mix of us being so caught up in everyday life, remind yourself the why. And so for me, that story is my why. Yeah, I've done some incredible things, but I always go back to that, as you said, because that is the thing that reminds me that in the moment when I think I'm I, I'm less powerful and going to be less impactful, that's actually the right moment. And that's actually the right time that I need to be there and to show up. But if I wouldn't have trusted my instinct of just saying, I don't really want to do this, but I'm just going to go, yeah. I never would have had that experience and would have had it, would it have potentially led me to the life that I have today? Maybe not, but I've listened. And so it's incredibly important for people to ask yourself the million dollar question, why? So important, so important. And um, I just wanna ask you one last thing. With the title of the campaign being Imperfectly Perfect, what does that mean to you, being imperfectly perfect? That it's okay that you don't have it all figured out that it's okay that you're still learning, that it's okay that sometimes you're gonna make a mistake, that it's perfectly fine to be imperfect. It would be unrealistic to think that everybody has it, is perfect and has it all figured out. When the reality is through this campaign that you're doing is you're exposing these individuals that a lot of people know and you're saying, see, see how imperfect they are? See, what I don't like is when people hear my story and they see me and the life that I live today, they start to put me on this pedestal. I don't personally like that. And the reason why I don't like that is because then I, want, I, I feel it makes people believe that this is unattainable. Mm. To get to this point in life, to, to live the way that I live is unattainable. Well, that only happened to him because look at how amazing. No, no, no. <laughs> this is attainable. This life is attainable. But I'm going to make mistakes. And so the per imperfectly perfect just speaks to me because it truly just means that it's, it's perfectly fine to not have it all figured out. It's perfectly fine to say I've made mistakes. It's perfectly fine to be vulnerable. It's perfectly fine to be a student of life. It's perfectly fine, ladies and gentlemen, to sit in whatever space that you are in and just stop and listen listen not listen to respond but listen to understand mm. that is a big thing that so many of us have a problem with professionally and personally we spend because we're so incredibly defensive when somebody gives us constructive criticism we immediately 
are listening to respond back to them. Yeah. Listen to understand. Don't hear. Listen. There's a difference between listening and hearing. And I guarantee if you spend more time listening, you'll learn a lot more about yourself and about the world around you. It is. It, it's so profound that you say that as well, because um, a good person that I've learned a lot from, David Meltzer, he's, he's huge in the US. Um, he basically always says the three, two or three, I can't remember. I, I don't quote me, mate. <laughs> but two or three ways that you listen. So there's the people who literally don't listen, who are just skirting over. There's the people who try and listen, but are thinking of what they're going to say, like you say, the responder. And then there's the third person. And he had actually said to me, he said, you're the third person. And I was like, is this going to be a compliment? Is this going to, what, what, what is this third? And it was like, you pay attention. Like you learn and you pick up on intricate details. So for me, I've got a tagline. Everyone knows me. I get to know the person behind the profession because for me, whatever you've done, JR, is amazing it could go tomorrow but what you've done and what you stand for as a family man and what you've done for the lives of people especially that girl means more to me than you'll ever know and other people like us because you're doing the work of god and i just without going religious or anything because it, it it's just amazing and that's you're probably brought to me mate <laughs> like it's, like a great happen I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your friendship. I, um, I really do. I appreciate this incredible work that you're doing. And you know, what I love is, is I've learned to not judge people um, as, as difficult as it may be at times. You know, I think all of us have a little bit of that in our DNA where we want to judge just based on what we see because of past experiences or, you know, whatever, you know, culture tells us. Um, but, but, the beautiful thing is that you realize that if you're willing to listen and pay attention, um, you find people that you have a lot in common with. And that's you. Like, you know, I have a lot in common with you. We may be on opposite ends of the world in completely different time zones. But at the end of the day, we have the same value. We have the same belief system. And what motivates us and drives us every single day is the same thing, is to be successful and not successful simply because we want to make a lot of money. We want to be successful because we want to impact people. First and foremost, ourselves, then our family, and then every our friends, and then everybody else outside of that circle. And so I, I just want everybody listening right now to just understand that you have more in common with the person standing next to you than you believe. Yeah. And you will never know it if you're not willing to actually listen and engage in conversation. Engage. Trust yourself and trust the person next to you. At the very least, if it's somebody that you're like, I can't really click with this person, at least you know that. Yeah. At least you know, like, hey, at least I know who this person is and it is what it is, right? Like, I don't get along with every single person I come in contact with and that's okay. Luckily for me, there's millions of more people to pick from. Like so <laughs> the odds are in my favor. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's like, let's not, you know, we're, we unfortunately, we allow a lot of things to divide us. And what we have to, somebody said to me on my podcast the other day, they said, you know, she is a plus size model. And, uh, you know, at one point she was close to 400 pounds and, you know, she lost a lot of weight and I think she's under 200 now. And, um, you know, beautiful, beautiful physically and, and, and just emotionally, her heart, her soul. And 
She said that when people send, you know, cruel messages to her on social media, like Instagram, she says she responds. And I was like, what do you, what do you, why would you respond? And she says, you know, a lot of people say I'm crazy for responding, for giving that much time and attention and energy to it. But I respond and I just respond with love. And she says half the time people actually respond back and say, we're sorry. Yeah. We realize we're saying what we're saying because we're mad about ourselves, our own lives and whatever it is. And we're, we, we envy the, what you have. And so we just attacked you. And that's a, such a beautiful, poignant thing is that if so many more of us just responded with thing, to things with love, imagine how much better we would be as a human race. Just love, man. Just Shit. love. And, and, and if people love. can learn one thing, what I've learned, I now know, and I'm very grateful to know very successful people, multimillionaires, all this. And what I learned is what comes with a multi-million dollar problems is a million dollar problems, a, a business is problems. So, and then when it comes to like A-list celebrities and, and everyone else, it's kind of like, you see a highlight reel. You don't see that some people can't talk to certain people. They can't do certain things. They can't just go down to the road and they actually envy your life. So in this perpetual cycle, we're all envying each other and thinking of this thing called success and success. I, feel that I can send success to you is just providing for your family, being right. happy and being of service. Cause it certainly is for me as well. And Hey, when people said to me, Glenn, you look like you're killing it. I'll go, just go to my stories. There were 12 months I was working on a construction site so I could get this campaign going. I was like, it takes struggle to realize who's there for you. And also the, whatever you get, you're grateful for, cause you know what it takes to get here. And there's this fear factor that we come up against when we're trying to attain something and we go back because it's comfortable. And if you can break those barriers, you, you, you slowly move forward. But hey, it's your evening. I don't want to take much of your time for your family, but tell us where everyone can find you and more information about you, JL. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all that good stuff at I am JR Martinez. My website is jrmartinez.com. I obviously have, uh, I have, well, not obviously, but I have a podcast called Rebirth. And the name of Rebirth stems from a lot of veterans when they refer to the day that they were injured, they call it their alive day. But I refer to that day as my rebirth. And that implies that some, a part of me died on the day that I was hurt. And I believe that. And I believe that other parts of me were born. So this is my rebirth. And I like to have people on, like I'm going to have you on, just to talk about their own rebirths and, you know, what they have learned. Uh, so, yeah, just come. If you guys are interested, come follow me and just see this crazy world and how imperfectly perfect I am as well. And, um, man, I, listen, I just want to I just want to say real quick, again, I know I kind of said this briefly earlier, but I just thank you for your energy. I thank you for your advocacy. I thank you for your passion. I thank you for your willingness to be a voice and to create a platform for a lot of people to share that imperfectly perfect side of themselves. And you are doing incredible work, man. And I just hope that you also know that you are impacting people. And you may not necessarily understand that right now today, but you know, six months from now, a year from now, all of a sudden someone's going to hit you up and say, man, let me tell you what you did and how powerful that was. So just keep plugging away, man, and just know that you got a fan over here on this side of the river. And if you ever come over here, man, and, and you know, we'll link up. We talked about that. But, um, 
you, uh, you, you'll definitely have to let your followers know when you're going to be on my podcast because uh, I know there's going to be a lot to share and I want to learn all about how you're getting into this, how you got into this incredible work and what drives you every single day. But keep it up, my friend, and just know that, you know, you got a guy in your corner over here. Mate, I appreciate it. I pre- appreciate everything you do. You kind words. I appreciate you. And guys, you have to check JR's Instagram live, if anything, with his daughter. Like... <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that one in there because she's hysterical. She's 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 going to take over your channel, mate. So <laughs> that, that got me through my workout. I was listening, and everyone's like, "What the hell is he laughing at?" <laughs> and the thing is, is that she like is so at home when it's just my wife. When it's just the three of us, right? Like she's this big personality, but when she gets in public, she's quiet, she's reserved, and it drives my wife and I crazy because we're like, "That's not who you are, right? Like you're this big personality." And as you saw on the Instagram live yesterday, she's like, she has a personality. She's yeah. a big, funny person, silly personality, but she tries, like she holds that back sometimes. And I think that's another one of the toughest things as parents is, a, is learning to allow your children to be who they're meant to be versus yeah. who we think they should be. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the toughest things, but yeah, she's a hoot man. But she, it's funny real quick. Referring to that Instagram live shows when we, she said, can we do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we, when we, when I get ready, when I got ready to start it, she said, "But you have to start speaking first, and I'll follow you." And I was like, "Okay, fine." Literally, it said checking connection, right? And then it says, "You are now live." She started st- talking first. What's up? Everybody? <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna take." Oh, mate. <laughs> well, mate, I, I'll let you get back to your family. I appreciate you and everything you do. On behalf of myself, the campaign, thank you very much. To anybody listening, I will throw all the links up to Jarrah where you can find him, but head to Spotify or iHeartRadio where you can catch this episode or all our latest episodes. But until then, guys, stay safe. Have those hard conversations because they do make a world of difference. And you will find, attesting to JR's there, it is going to be your rebirth. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.